Well, good morning, everyone. Sorry I'm running a little behind schedule or something had come up, but I texted Jeff and, and Charles to let them know I was on my way and I was able to make it. You know, it's been nice seeing you all. Uh, last time we saw you all was at Pentecost. Many of you came up for that. We really like that. Uh, again, I think that was Charles' idea. We're willing to do that as often as you want to do it. You know, we can plan ahead. Just really a nice, nice activity. So it's, it was, I haven't been down here to speak since 2014. I did have heart surgery and by the way, thank you for those of you who knew about my heart surgery and prayed for me. That was uh, February of 2016. Did not have a heart attack, but did have some clogged arteries. Uh, we, were, we had some stress in the church area at that time. And uh, that stress in the church area actually tipped me off to a problem I had. So I was joking that the, those individuals who were involved in the stress actually did me a favor by helping me find out my heart problem. <laughs> But uh, So I'm, I'm trying to recover. Again, did not have the heart attack, did have the surgery. Also, I want to compliment you on your little Shreveport congregation. Uh, one thing I've done with Charles through the years is I travel around, I have traveled around quite a bit, and I have a lot of church areas I can go to, but like some unusual circumstances come up, like I was doing a wedding up in Kansas City. So before I did the wedding, I wanted to do some pre-marriage counseling about three or four or five times. So I didn't want to speak in the Kansas City congregation every, every week or every month. So I'd call Charles and say, do you have any congregation along the way? And they'd say, yeah, they'd, they'd love you in Fort Smith and uh, Springdale and some, some of those places, uh, Springfield, Missouri, all these different places. And so from time to time I've done that. Now I'm here, I talked to Jeff, and Jeff said that Wynn Skelton's doing that now. So if I'm traveling in an area, like I need to go down to Baton Rouge to visit somebody down there, so I call up and said, do you all have a congregation down there you'd like me to visit? And I don't think you have one close to Baton Rouge. But again, we have a great relationship with you all. We appreciate the relationship we have. And that little Shreveport congregation reminded me I was, only, I was there seven years ago, and they want me to come back this year again. And I said, well, I, I don't know if I, I won't wait seven years, but I can't promise to come back that quickly. So anyway, it's really nice to, to be in relationship with you, friendship with you. And I uh, wanted to also compliment your I don't know if he's president, Vance Stinson. I don't know what y'all call him. Your leader, your designate. He, he has functions to do. Uh, one time, uh, there was an, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, was having some doctrinal challenges, pretty serious doctrinal challenges. And so uh, three of us tried to help this individual separately. And three of them were Ron Dart, Vance Stinson, and myself. And I would like to say that my discussions with the man may have helped him but I think Vance's discussions with the man really helped break through, and he was able to respond back and, and accept what we all, the three of us, considered good, sound doctrine. So we were ha- I want to compliment your, your leader on that, and, and again, I appreciate, again, a lot of the work that you do for the body of Christ. Well, today, you know, when I get the opportunity to, to speak, there's two things I like to do, is I like to point you to God and to encourage you. That's all. That's, my model, even at home, in our home congregation, or when I travel, those are always my two objectives, to point you to God and to encourage you. So the sermon I've chosen, and you have a copy of the handout if you'd like to follow a handout. This, the title of the sermon is Three Reasons to Obey God. Three Reasons to Obey God. There are more reasons you can come up with, but these are the three I want to share with you today. I want to remind you of these reasons to obey our Heavenly Father. I'd like to say this for the record. Uh, for the record, I realize that I frequently make passing comments about this. 
And this may not affect you as much as there's also your internet audience. And I know some people cross, some people stay at home and watch two or three internets every Sabbath. And I talk to people about that. So we, I may have some friends who are listening in or people who don't know me as well or may hear me. You know, I, I make reference to this regularly. And also in 2011 at our Feast of the Tabernacle site, I covered this as well. But why do I periodically bring this up? Why do I talk about these three reasons to obey God? Well, I believe the material is important. That's obvious. I believe that we all have different aha moments. By an aha moment, sometimes something is said that you may be in a group of people, and four of the people may have learned that years ago, and all of a sudden you have an aha moment, or you're around someone who has an aha moment. It's a psychological term like, aha, that's what that means. And let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. That's why you hear different preachers and all your variety of preachers occasionally will come back to subjects they like to talk about. Even if it's not the main point of their sermon, they will interject that back into their message because it's really important to them. They, they want to make sure people get that. And maybe it was important they had to go through it and learn themselves. And so they learned it themselves and they'd like to pass it on to others. But see, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7, this is true about all of us who give presentations. All the teachers you have, all the teachers that stand before you, whether it be here in a Bible study, in an interactive Bible study, in the classroom, for the kids or teenagers, Paul said he planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything, neither he who waters anything, but God who gives the increase, he's the special one. And see, the one thing you know about your teachers, they're not up here for their own vanity. They're not up here to, for entertainment. They're not up here for pride. They're not up here to be stroked. They're not up here to, you have a, a good selection of, of uh, presenters. They're not up here to enhance themselves. They're up here to enhance our Father in heaven and the Son of God. That's why we do what we do. That's, that should always be our focus. So when we plant and water, that's all I'm doing today. I just want to sprinkle seeds. The one thing I like about interactive Bible studies is if interactive Bible study, you also plant and water. When you make comments, you're also throwing seeds out. And by the way, even in our discussions after church today, you will be planting and watering with me. By the way, I should let you also know that the people we learn most from are the people who aren't trying to change us. If someone's trying to change you, usually you put up a defense, and that's, that's okay. I don't like people who try to cram religion or anything down my throat. But I learn from a lot of people, because a lot of people have good wisdom. They say great things. They're not trying to change me. And I listen, sit there and think, oh, that, that was good, because they just planted a seed. They just watered. And so if you're the kind of person who likes to get in people's faces, you're probably do, not doing as much good as you think. If you're the kind of humble person who just likes to share information, you'd be surprised how much good you're doing in the body of Christ as you're planting and watering and God's giving the increase. So since God gives the increase, and I have on the handout there that I believe this material to be important. I believe that we all have different aha moments. And this material can help many people who are facing a wide variety of situations. This material can help you deal with life's experiences. All of God's people deal with life's experiences. 
We have different types of trials, but the same essence of the trial is the same. We, we, we walk this walk, we have to deal with situations in life. The details may vary in what we're dealing with, but trials are true. And being a follower of Christ, you're going to have trials. Being a follower of Christ, you're going to have situations land at your doorstep that we have to deal with, all of us have to deal with. So I ask you the question today, why do you obey? You know, the, the, the title is Three Reasons to Obey God. Why do you obey? What is your motivation to obey God? Let's go through the, fir- the three. The first two I'll go through a little more quickly. Number one, the first reason to obey God is to be blessed now. To be blessed now. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses 27 through 29. In this section, the highlighted scripture is Matthew 19, verses 27 through 29. People obey God to be blessed now. Now, if you think about it, and if you look at these three three reasons, they're a maturing process. All three are important. This one's okay. This is a good reason to obey God. I don't believe it's the most important reason to obey God, but it's a good reason to obey God, and it's one we stress with our children. Now, I heard you had a youth camp down at Timberline. We also had one down at Timberline, and it went really well from one of the reports I've heard. But with the young people, you try to help young people realize to obey God is, is a blessing. To obey God is we can be blessed now. You want young people to get that message. You want teenagers to get that message that it's smart to obey God. So there's nothing wrong with this reason. It's just the early reason. In fact, many people in a church of God, sometimes in some of the old churches of God, there were uh, magazines that had some graphic pictures. There was a man called Basil Wolverton who had a graphic picture and there was, he had some real graphic pictures of boils and th- tribulation and things that were happening well you know a lot of reasons why people started obeying God to just they were scared yeah they were they wanted to avoid the tribulation is that the most mature reason no is it a bad reason that's not a bad reason it should be followed up by more important reasons there's nothing wrong with being blessed now uh, there's a scripture I'm not going to turn to where John said you seek me because I fed you See, back in his time, some people didn't seek him because of his message. They sought him because he fed them. Do you know there are some people who come to churches because of potlucks? And by the way, you have a reputation of having one of the best potlucks around. If that's the main reason to come, then your, your sermon speakers will want to work harder on their sermons. But the fact is, it's not, it's not wrong to have potlucks. It's not wrong to come to church for the fellowship of the potlucks. It's part of the atmosphere. It's part of the experience. But it's not the only reason. It should not be the most important reason. But that's what they said. Christ said, you just came to be fed. Again, there are a lot of people who come to you, hang around you because of things you offer them. There are a lot of people who hang around you, and I'm talking about in your family or job, who hang around you personally because of your kind. Is there anything wrong with that? I think that's a great reason for people to hang around you. Maybe they see Christ living in you. Maybe see the qualities, they see the qualities of the Scripture living in you, and they hang around, and they're still not sure about your doctrine. And maybe slowly but surely they're accepting some of your doctrines. But the point is they like you, and that's the way it should be. It should be that they like you. I still have this vision where I still have this image when, they, when the mob was crucifying Christ. I have this image where here's this man and woman standing there and he elbows her and says, 
isn't that the guy who healed Aunt Hazel? And then someone said, isn't that the guy who cast a demon out of Cousin Freddy? Isn't that the guy who gave us some fish? Isn't that the guy who gave us some, you know, some good food? And what did they do anyway? They killed him anyway. I have the same little test that you have, whether you realize it or not. I am trying to be such a good neighbor on my street that when they focus on the fact that I don't believe in the Trinity, and again, I'm sure that I know the church here has a booklet if anyone's listening in, if you want to know what, about the Godhead, I'm sure you write to the local church here, they would be happy to express their views of it. This congregation believes in God the Father, Jesus Christ as a Savior, but they view the Holy Spirit differently than the typical Trinity theory. In many ways, it's a, it's a crazy thing to argue about, but they're not, this congregation not arguing about it, but I know some in society will argue about that. So some of my neighbors might say, Dave, you don't believe in the Trinity. Oh, yeah, you believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ as the Savior, and you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it may not be exactly according to their litmus test. I want it where my neighbors finally say, you know, he was just a good neighbor. He was just a good guy. He mowed our yard when we were on vacation without us even asking him. He, you know, I, I, want, I want to be like Christ, because that's what we're trying to be like, right, you and I? We want to be like Christ. I want to make it hard for them. When they see some doctrinal differences, they say, he really treated us well. And I hope that's what you're doing too. But they, they, they came for Christ because he fed them. Now let's look at this, this, this scripture, Matthew 19, verse 27. Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. What shall we have? Okay, so the twelve, Peter and the, tw- the other eleven, they were kind of like, what's in it for me now? Is that the greatest thing? Not the greatest thing. Is it a bad thing? It's a normal thing. It's a normal thing. That was not their prime motivation. But there's nothing wrong with realizing how is what I'm doing today affecting me today? How is it benefiting me today? Now, Christ did mention in verse 28 some of the future things, which is the second point. He said, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he is going to point to the second point, which we're going to cover in a second. But he did not ignore the first point. The first point, he says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands, for my namesake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Yes, to obey God, there's future ramification. We're going to get to point two, but we can't ignore point one. Point one is there are benefits today. You and I, we have brothers and sisters all scattered around the country, scattered around the world. I don't come in contact with those around the world as much. I don't travel internationally as much as some of you, you folks may. But so I have, I have friends and family all around the world because of, the, because of my religion, because of my belief system. Now, sometimes that's, through the years, I'll be, to be honest, that's shrinking a little bit. I have to be honest, that's shrinking a little bit. But the point is, uh, what happens is you still have that core of people you can count on, that core of people you have trust in, that core of people you have a relationship in, even when disappointments arise in life. And, of course, the greatest disappointments in life come from the closest people to you. A mutual friend of ours, Wayne Cole. Back in 1995, I really got close to Wayne Cole. I had not been close to him through the years. He was just a name in a church I was in. 
And I had heard back in 1979 a lot of bad gossip about him, a lot of bad rumors about him. And when I met him and spent time with him, I said, Wayne, I apologize to you. I apologize to you because I believe the rumors. I am so sorry. I believe the rumors. And Wayne said something that was insightful. He said, well, Dave, you didn't know me. You didn't know me. There's no reason why for you. It's the people who are my friends who believe the rumors. He said, that's what was painful. And it made, it made a lot of sense to me, and sure, it should make a lot of sense to you. The strangers or the, the masses who believe the things, that, that's, that doesn't matter. But when the, like Wayne said, when the people closest to you believe it, that can be hurtful. So, but even when you have, you have new people you meet, new, develop, new relationships forming, and if old relationships die, Jesus told us that we have hundreds. We have hundreds of them out there. Brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, wives. And that doesn't mean polygamy, by the way. Don't, don't take it that. But we have land and we have places to go. And we can receive a hundredfold in this life. I'm not going to turn to Psalm 119. But if you're ever in the point of looking at Psalm 119, all the blessings of obedience. David outlines a whole list of blessings of obedience. Obeying is smart. And, to, and help young people realize sinning is stupid. That's the kind of thought the young people need to hear. Those young people need to hear, Obey, obeying God is smart, sinning is stupid. But that's the first point, to be blessed now. Nothing wrong with that. The second reason why we obey God is to be blessed at the resurrection. We're going to turn to, let's turn to Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. That's going to be our highlight of Scripture as you turn there, I'm going to refer to some scriptures in the book of Revelation. In the seven churches to the book of Revelation, John, Christ, John, John writes Christ saying how we're going to be blessed in the future. And it's good to think about these things. Unfortunately, people like to focus in on one congregation in Philadelphia. And they like to focus in on that one. I would encourage you to focus in on all seven congregations. I recommend you learn the lesson of all seven congregations. There's a crazy theory out there that, you know, people like to focus in on these possible being church eras. And then the crazy, craziness about it is they like to call themselves the Philadelphians. Because of the seven congregations, two of them are positive and the other have correction. Two are positive, the others have correction. So one thing, the Philadelphia, they like to say they're Philadelphians, they're, they like to think of themselves as better than other people which is pride and vanity, but they, they don't understand that. In fact, the message to the Laodiceans says, you think you're better than other people. The people, let me tell you a secret, the people who think they're Philadelphians are acting like Laodiceans. <laughs> if they would just read what it says, the very, if you quote their words back to them, the very words are acting like Laodiceans. Now, they're just caught up in their foolishness, and probably if you point it out to them, they're just going to call you a Laodicean or worse. And you really probably can't help them. But uh, just so you know, when you hear their message, don't be fooled by their message. Don't be fooled by the nonsense. Learn the lesson of all seven congregations. Because here's all of these applied. Every one of these, all of these blessings apply to you. I'm going to refer to them. Re Revelation 2.7. Your future is the tree of life. Revelation 2.11, 
Your future is not to be hurt by the second death. Revelation 2.17 Your future is the hidden manna, the white stone, and the new name. And if you haven't had a sermon recently on the white stone, that's interesting. It goes back to the Urim and Thummim. It goes back to God's judgment. It's real interesting to study. But a lot of people don't study it because it's not Philadelphia. The next one's Revelation 2, verses 26 and 27. It says, power over the nations. And of course, that has to be defined by the rest of the Bible. What does that mean, power over the nations? What is servant leadership really about? The next one's Revelation 3, 5. Your future is white raiment. Your future is the book of life. Your future is your name confessed before the Father. Just think about all the people who slander your name. While that can be painful, it really doesn't matter. It can be painful, but it really doesn't matter. You want your name confessed before the Father by Jesus Christ. That's what matters most. Revelation 3.12 be a pillar in the temple and a new name. Revelation 3.21, you will be at Christ's throne. That is your future as described to the message to the seven churches. And that's, those are good reasons to obey God now. It's still not the ultimate reason. We haven't got the number three yet, but it's still a good reason. It's a better reason than being blessed now, but it's still not the ultimate reason. I ask you to turn to Revel- uh, Luke 14. Verses 12 to 14. Luke 14, verses 12 to 14. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, don't ask your brothers, don't ask your relatives, don't ask your rich neighbors, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. What happened was, and it's not wrong, it's, you, can have, you can have a meal with your friends, you can have a meal with your family. The point is, what is the motivation? If the motivation is, you did good to me, so I'm going to do good to you, he's saying, that's, the, that's not the best motivation. I had you over to my house, so I'll go over to your house. Uh, uh, I, you, did, you, worked, you helped me with money for my car, I'll help you with money for your car. You were nice to me, I'll be nice to you. So that that's the lesson. The lesson is, don't get involved in that. So what happens with many of the body of Christ? Well, some... Parts of the body of Christ do have a social club. They have a social clique. There, there, there are certain things where people do things socially only because for prestige, especially if they view someone as a climber or a leader. But that's not you. You don't, you don't have to be part of that. You can be part of the people who help the, the, the downtrodden. You can be part of the people who help the people who need help. There have been times, I, I don't want to go into details of past situations, but there have been times when I have helped young people and I've taken it on the chin and taken a lot of criticism, but they have no idea what was happening in that young person's life. The masses had no concept of what was really going on. And why'd you stay quiet, Dave? For, those, for that young person. So, so you didn't tell people all the facts? Heavens, no. <laughs> you rarely tell people any facts. You, really do, you don't justify yourself why you do what you do. And usually what happens is you help people who need help. And sometimes you keep quiet about it even when people attribute wrong motives, even when people attribute wrong facts and wrong situations. You do it because it's the right thing to do. Because what it says here, 
this verse is, this verse is pretty important to me. That's, you know, we, we're not supposed to have favorite verses. This is one of my favorites. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Verse 14. This is a, true, this is a truism for me. And if you, if you think about it, it's a truism for you. You will be blessed because you cannot, they cannot repay you now. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I, our life, many of our lives prove that we're not in it for today. We're not in it for wealth today. We're not in it for acclaim today. We're not in it for prestige today. Because we, while we do gain benefits from obeying God, as we saw in point one, many of us realize we're looking to the time when the true judge, the only judge that matters, repays us at the resurrection of the just. Nothing wrong with that. That's a good reason to obey. Let's get to the third reason to obey, with the more, most important of the three, to willingly honor God now. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. One thing we know about the Christ, the Son of God, He willingly served His Father. He willingly honored His Father. We can read that in the book of John. You can read it throughout the New Testament. He willingly laid down His life. He, his purpose was to glorify His Father's name. And then His final prayer, which is on the Passover night, His final prayer was, he said, I have glorified you on the earth. That was his purpose. His purpose was to honor God. And I know that's your purpose too. And how much are you doing it willingly? How much are you willingly honoring God? See, I, I'm a firm believer you don't ever want to be manipulated by anyone. You don't ever want to be guilted by anybody. Now, I, I have this saying that uh, when people go on hunger strikes, that really doesn't move me at all. I know people will say, this famous person is going a hunger strike because they want something done. They want an end result. Well, I guess that motivates people like, oh, they're on a hunger strike. I've got to either give them money or whatever. If I see people on a hunger strike, and my wife and I are very similar about this, so we're, we don't even argue about this. We don't argue about anything, really. She's always right. <laughs> she is. Well, she's usually not always. She's usually right. But we don't. But it's the kind of thing. Both my wife and I look at each other like they're going on a hunger strike, and that's supposed to do what? I think people going on a hunger strike. I think that's silly, and I won't be manipulated. You might say, "Oh, don't you feel sorry for them, Dave?" No, they deliberately went on a hunger. I feel sorry who was abused. I feel sorry who was sexually abused. I feel sorry who was physically abused. I feel sorry who was emotionally abused by someone else. I don't feel sorry for someone who puts himself on a hunger strike. I'm not manipulated by that. If someone says, well, Dave, uh, if, if you don't do what I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell this, this conversation we had two years ago. Fine, I'll tell the conversation. I, I'm not in the mood to be manipulated by anybody. And I recommend that for you. Don't let yourself be manipulated by people. I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to put pressure on you. You have no reason to have pressure. You have no reason to fear that. Don't be, you do everything you can willingly. That's the best way to live. He says here, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly of a necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I want you to cheerfully. I, I tell people, when I offer to do something, I mean it. I willingly offer to do it. 
And if I choose not to offer, I willingly chose not to offer. If someone says, can I borrow your car to drive to Seattle, Washington, I will willingly say, no, I'll try to help you find another way to get there to serve your need, but I'm not going to let you take my car to Seattle, Washington. You see what I mean? I, I willingly say yes and I willingly say no. You should willingly say yes and willingly say no. And again, of course, if you can, you, if you find what their need is, you try to provide what their need is. But that's not, that's not doing it, that's not being manipulated, that's doing it cheerfully. This is really a uh, part I threw in for this sermon today that would take a long time or take a full sermon to go through. But I want to plant the seeds today. It, it's, it, it's in line with this, but it takes a full sermon. Have you ever heard the, the expression enabling somebody? Enabling somebody. I talk about it a lot, and I, I will take full blame that I'm sure I don't explain it well. And that's why I keep coming back to try it again. I shouldn't say full blame. I take a lot of blame. But a lot of people don't understand this enabling thing. Enabling means they give, but they give for the wrong reasons. And so to me, that's another important subject. That's, but I want to at least plant the seed in here today. I want to, to help you analyze your motivation for giving, why you give, consider the following three options. When you give something, whether you give your money or your time or your affection, when you give something, are you doing it for some of the wrong reasons here below? Here's a wrong reason for giving. Are you giving to impress other people? That's not the right reason. But that's an easy one. It gets a little harder as you analyze yourself. Are you trying to impress yourself? Someone says, that seems a little psychological. It is. It is. Of course, the Bible talks about emotions. The Bible talks about psychology. God made our minds. God made our feelings. God made our emotions. And quite frankly, a lot of times people compensate because you have negative view of yourself. You have a negative view of yourself, so you compensate. It's almost like, well, if I, because I am such a bad person, if I give to this person over here, that'll even it out. And if I give enough, that I can get ahead. And again, as I try to explain, we all have a hole in our life. Our holes are different. Our holes are not always from this, for the same reason. People have holes in their life, and we fill those holes with different things. Some people fill those holes with alcohol. Some people fill those holes with drugs. Those, those have never been a problem for me. But I have the same holes, and I fill it with food. I've been eating for comfort in more than the last eight years. Eating for comfort. So I'm going to say, does that make you a better person than an alcoholic? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. My choice of dealing with the hole is that way. Now, thankfully, I also have a relationship with God, and I'm filling that hole most with God. But he, none of, by the way, if you think you always fill your holes perfectly with God, you're very naive and maybe a little self-righteous, quite frankly, because you have areas where you fill the holes in your life. And I'm not really asking you to analyze everyone else's hole unless, unless they've asked you to help them. I'm asking you to analyze your own hole and try to figure out what's in your life so you can fill it correctly. And then the last part, are you seeking to impress God by earning his love? And a lot of religion does that. A lot of religion is about legalism. A lot of religion is about seeking to impress God and earning salvation. And that's why this congregation, by the way, if you're listening on the Internet, this congregation is a grace-based church who has great value in the law of God. 
This congregation is a grace-based church. There's a great value in the Old Testament. But they are a New Testament church. But again, they realize you can't earn God's love. Any obedience we do is because God loves us and because God's saving us. Thereby, we try to find out what God's expectations are. And so these folks here in this hall right here, they're looking at God loves us, God's blessing us, God's saving us. So what does he want us to do? What does our dad want us to do? And that's, that's the approach all of us should have. But I'm asking you if to give will, willingly, to give willingly, please don't be seeking to impress other people. Don't seek to impress yourself and don't seek to impress God. God loves you in spite of your secret sins. And you, don't, you don't have to tell anyone your secret sins. If you, if you choose to tell someone your secret sins, make sure it's someone you trust. God knows your sins. God knows who you are and God loves you. And God doesn't want you to stay involved in your, your ways. In fact, the old expression, come as you are, sometimes pe- religious people don't like that phrase. I love that phrase. I love the phrase, come as you are, and then let's do something about it. Come as you are, and then let's make the changes that God wants us to make. See, churches that don't let you come until you're perfect, that's ridiculous. That's not even biblical. Churches that make you evaluate you and you have to call, follow a certain standard before you can even walk in the door, that's nuts. That's not biblical at all. For a church that's welcoming and wants you to come and then says, by the way, we want you to make changes, well, let's all make changes together. That's, that's what it's all about. So again, God wants believers to willingly honor him. And I just threw those things in there about enabling and evaluating yourself, really just to try to plant some seeds. Maybe you'll do some study on that, and maybe, maybe God will bless you with understanding. Final two scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. Here's Peter telling the leaders of the congregation how they are to be. And I would say this is not only good for the leaders, it's good for everybody. Because in one sense, you can all be part of the leadership. You all have gifts. Again, I like the phrase that my friend Charles Gross uses, and I, I teach it as well. Sometimes I teach it in places of the church of God that's not, it's not received well. But that's their problem. It's called first among equals. First among equals. What happens is we are brothers and sisters in Christ... In Matthew 23, he said, don't exalt yourselves over each other. Certain people have different gifts and certain functions that they have. And by the way, one of my, one of my lines or statements is, best person for the job. Best person for the job. I was up in the state doing a church visit. There was a young lady who was going to be marrying somebody. And there was, my wife was not traveling with me. Uh, it was the, uh, two couples and myself, so five of us were analyzing. All five of us were worried about this young lady marrying somebody. We thought, oh, we didn't know if this was going to be good for her. So we sat there and talked about it, and we said, I said, best person for the job. If you think I'm the best, I, don't, I said, I don't think I'm the best person for this job. If you think I'm the best person for this job, I'll buy an airline ticket. I'll make a church visit up there. And I'll make sure to sit down with that young lady and we'll talk to her about it. Does she really know what she's doing? We'll, do it, we'll do it, try to do it carefully. We'll try to do it lovingly. But best person for the job. I said to those four others, if you think I'm the best person for the job, I'll, I'll do it. 
and they chose one of the ladies, which I think was the best person for the job. In fact, by the way, if you're having teenage troubles, people come through with teenage troubles, teenagers getting on drugs or whatever, 16 years old, and guess what I say? Who's the best person for the job? An aunt? An uncle? A guidance counselor at school? Who's the, if I'm the best person to talk to your teenager, I'm there. If you think I'm the best person to help your teenager, I'm there. Best person for the... It's not about vanity. See, too many times, many of the leaders and teachers, they, they, they've got to be... How many times have you seen pastors who have to be the experts in nutrition, the experts in buying cars, the experts in investments? Best person for the job. If, if people come to me about investments, I, I'll give some of my input, but I'll plug them to other people who also do investing. Best person for the job. That's what it's all about. And so sometimes people ask me to do a job, I'll, I'll do it. If I'm, if I'm the best person for it, I'll do it. If I'm not, I have, I have enough to do in life. I don't need more. I'm not, look, I'm not looking for more to do, but I will do as much as I can really do. 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, but not by constraint, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but do it eagerly. Don't be lording over the, the congregation, but be examples to the flock. I realize that many people want someone to lord over them, and so many people will, will press you to lord over them, but I, I, believe, I believe in 1 Peter 5 more than I believe in people's opinions. So all of us, if, we want, if you want to honor the Father, if you want to honor the Father willingly, you can serve not only in your congregation, but see, the congregations, this is just the time to recharge your batteries. Now you go out to your families. Now you go out to your job, your community, and now you get to practice your religion. Now you get to honor God. You come here to get your batteries recharged. And that's why you like coming here. Because you get your batteries recharged by the messages, by the food, by the fellowship. You get your batteries recharged, and then you go out and live your religion to honor God. And that's what's happening all around the country as well. Final scripture, 2 Timothy 2, verses 19 through 21. Some people say they know who's in the body of Christ. Well, you, you do not have a Holy Spirit detector. You know, you can't pull out your, your favorite cell phone and put on the app and say, Holy Spirit detector. Larry Watkins in the church. Charles Gross not in the church. We don't have detectors like that. And some say, oh yeah, but by your fruit you'll know them. Ultimately you'll know by the fruit. I wish that word, English word ultimately were in that scripture in Matthew. Because what happens is there's sin in the church of God. How do I know? Because you and I are in the church of God. There's sin in the church. And there's, someone says, well, isn't there strong sin yeah, at times there's strong sin in the church of God. That doesn't change God. That doesn't change the body of Christ. But there's strong sin in the church of God. But when you see strong sin in the church of God, you cannot label their standing with God. You cannot say that guy's sinning, so thereby he must not be a believer. He may be a believer, he may be a believer who's fallen. He may be a believer who's taken on evil. He may have taken on a whole lot of evil. 
but it's not our place to say who is, is or is not a part of the church of God. In fact, well, notice what it says here. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. We don't. You can recognize bad behavior. You can recognize iniquity. You can recognize sin. But you don't know who does or does not have God's Spirit, even though you see bad fruit or good fruit. You may see someone with good fruit that God says, nope, they really don't have my spirit. We're not the judge. That's not our place. It is our place to recognize good behavior and bad behavior. It is our responsibility to recognize good behavior and bad behavior. But it's not our, it's not our place to say who is and who is not in the church of God. So the Lord knows those who are His. But notice the next line. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Do you name the name of Christ? I do too. And I want to be away from iniquity. And one of the, one of the iniquities I want to be away from is revenge. One of, the, one of my goals in life is waiting on the Lord. And I'm not doing so good on that. But I'm trying to wait on the Lord. I'm not doing so good on that. But I'm going, I, with God's help, I'm going to wait on the Lord and let the Lord do His thing that's what I recommend you do as well. You and I need to depart from iniquity, even when the iniquity against you is strong, even when the iniquity against you is perverse, even when the iniquity against you is damaging and hurtful. The Bible says, wait on the Lord. And there's things you can do, things that you can look in the Bible, what you can and cannot do. And again, you can talk to someone about that if you need to. But... I'm not going to determine who's part of the body of Christ who's not. But I certainly can recognize iniquity, and I can certainly recognize people who need to do what they need to do. But I will work on myself. Why? Because the verse 21, I want to be a vessel of honor. If I see people who are vessels of dishonor under under the title Church of God, it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. All I know is I'm responsible for, I influence you, you influence me. But I can't blame you for my mistakes, and you can't blame me for yours. No, I can't blame anybody for my mistakes, and, I, and, I, and no one can blame me for theirs. We, all, we influence each other, we want to be positive influences on each other, but I want to be a vessel of honor who is sanctified and useful for the master, and I would like to do good works that the Father wants. And don't you want the same? Don't you want the same? So today I spend a little time talking about three reasons to obey. It is good to want to obey to be blessed now. It is good to be, want to be blessed at the resurrection. And it is good to willingly honor God right now.